Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, as we're recording this here today, yesterday was Divine Mercy Sunday, the Sunday after Easter, and also the day following the end of the Divine Mercy Novena that begins on Good Friday. And some of our listeners may have done the Novena before, some of them may be foreign to it, but each day of the no- of the nine-day Novena, you are praying for a specific group, essentially. And the last group on, on day nine is the souls who had gone lukewarm to Christ. At least that's how it's written in my individual booklet for saying the Novena. And I understand originally it was not written in English, so translations will alter from here to there. But I wanted to just talk about that core concept because I'm imagining that everyone out there in our listenership can see someone who has just drifted away from their faith. Not meaning that they don't believe in God at all, but basically that they're not practicing and they're not actively participating in a faith life really to any extent. So I wanted to take this opportunity to just have a conversation about that what the divine mercy is calling us to pray for the teachings that Jesus gave us through the divine mercy and how it all applies to our lives and why this is something that we should share beyond just the circles of this listenership. Well, the divine mercy novena is uh, really a beautiful devotion in the church revealed to St. Faustina and she lived in the first part of the 20th century and was uh, especially uh, surrounded being in Poland as she was by the, the wake, the aftermath of World War One, and uh, the, just the rising of the Nazis. I think she, she may have died. She certainly had uh, some of the novena or some of the diary was written in 1937, but just just before the invasion of Poland and just a very difficult time in history. And for Jesus to speak into that time, a word of mercy is uh, something very important. It's something that Pope John Paul then took on. It's a little side note of interesting history that the diary was translated. You mentioned translations. The diary was translated a little bit inadequately so that some of the expressions were uh, not theologically accurate. And it was actually uh, silenced or stopped production. Pope John Paul, when he became Pope, he had already approved it for the Diocese of Krakow, but, but the international approval was not there. When he became Pope, he uh, personally intervened in that and uh, moved the diary along again and retranslated it accurately and uh, kind of opened that up. So you can maybe see the work of the enemy really not wanting the diary to uh, get into the hands of the faithful. But that message of mercy became um, an important message for Pope John Paul. His second encyclical was on God who is rich in mercy. And then eventually he canonized St. Faustina. He established as Jesus had asked her to do, uh, had had revealed to her that the Sunday after Easter should be Divine Mercy Sunday. And then Jesus had also revealed this novena of intentions to her to start on Good Friday and to end on that Divine Mercy Sunday. So all of that really unfolded, you know, over several decades. And that's a nice time frame in the church where you really 
give it some space to let the a, a little bit of the uh, crust uh, kind of break off and and the the heart of it the essence of it has a way of emerging and so when when something emerges over several decades that way there's really a good discernment process in place and so what we have now from saint faustina and the diary of divine mercy the the novena of divine mercy divine mercy sunday is really a great gift which pope francis then received and he said it like this when he declared the year of the extraordinary jubilee year of mercy he said this isn't something that i'm creating i i feel that it's really my responsibility to receive and to pass on what i have received and this was really uh, received first of all by pope john paul ii and i'm seeing this now as a time of mercy a time when the church and the world especially need this message of mercy and so he entrusted to us this Jubilee Year of Mercy and, and really opened up a, a lot of beautiful teaching and a lot of richness in that context. But to come back to your question about the Novena of Mercy, Divine Mercy Sunday, um, the Novena of Mercy is uh, really nine intentions and, and short prayers. That's the Novena. People often tie that together with the Divine Mercy Chaplet, which is a just a beautiful, simple, repetitive prayer for mercy for the sake of his sorrowful passion. Have mercy on us and on the whole world. And that repeated invocation of mercy is something that uh, I like to offer as a penance and do as a penance. Just every time I say that, just try to allow one face or one kind of suffering, allow uh, just different faces and names to come before my eyes as I pray have mercy on us and on the whole world. And uh, in the Divine Mercy Novena, Jesus chooses some specific intentions. And, and there are categories of people like priests and religious, like little souls, uh, those in purgatory, um, enemies of the church, you know, just a variety of people. And he gives a little revelation to St. Faustina about how he suffered for them in his passion and just a, just a little, you know, a couple of sentences, not lengthy descriptions. And then that's the intention for the day for the Mercy Novena to really apply God's mercy to all of those areas where it's really needed. And then to come back to your point, Joe, about the lukewarm uh, being one of the intentions, I think maybe the last day is uh, for, the, for the lukewarm. And that goes along with what Jesus says in the book of Revelation. And I, I think I have the, uh, the verse here. In, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. Strong statement uh, about the lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. And we could interpret uh, hot maybe as passionate for the Lord, cold as uh, intentionally distant from him. So either moving towards him or walking away from him. But the lukewarm are just kind of not moving. There's no energy. There's nothing going on. And we could try to interpret why that's so odious to the Lord that he would say, the, the lukewarm I spit out of my mouth. And I think 
the way I always think of it is where there's energy, you can shape it. You know, you can direct it. I, I always think of it in terms of the old cars before power steering. You know, it's like you got to get the car moving before you can turn the steering wheel. You just can't even turn the steering wheel when it's just sitting still. And so even if we're moving away, sometimes like if you imagine that power steering or that lack of power steering situation, you might have to go the wrong way a little bit so that you can turn the wheel so that you can start going the right way. Where there's some energy, then it can be redirected. Or you can think of you know, a judo move or something. If someone swings at you, then you can kind of take their energy and you can redirect them and, and bring them back in, in your direction. Jesus would rather have us going at him, attacking him. He would rather have us yelling at him and protesting because at least we're focusing on him then. At least our attention is in his direction. Even if it's in a negative light, at least we're taking him seriously and, and focusing on him as an important aspect of life to focus on. Uh, that's all better. And we might think, wow, really, Father Boniface is telling us to be angry with God. Uh, well, yeah, I am. I, I'd rather have people be angry with him and face him and speak to him and work it out with him. Or likewise with the church. I mean, I'd rather people, somebody yell at me than simply to shut down and and pretend like I don't exist. Better to have negative energy than indifference. Indifference is the word that Pope Francis uses quite a bit, just not even caring, apathy, lukewarmness. That lukewarmness is hard to move. And so sometimes what we do, first of all, what the Lord does is provoke. And I think even this quarantine that we're in still at the moment, we're not focusing on that so much today, but but I'm aware of the setting and we're in this quarantine and things have been difficult, shut down. I think it's been provocative. I think it's provoked us to say, wow, I'm not in charge of everything. I am relatively powerless. What is this life all about? What's really important in life? How much time have I wasted doing things that just shut down with a snap? How much time have I wasted worrying about things that suddenly just disappeared from one day to the next? And it helps us think through that a little bit and, and really refocus our values. So I think one of the benefits can be from this quarantine and pandemic and whatever else is kind of provoking the lukewarm into saying, wake up, wake up. What's, what's life about? What are we doing here? What's this all about? So uh, anyway, few, those are a few thoughts about, uh, about all of that. I think I covered the things that you brought up there. Sure. And going off of your example there of energy and being the the core teaching behind it is I think that our society in general is, is turning a lot of people into that place of, of checking out and not willing to have energy uh, towards anything. And in a certain sense, I mean, I know that you just gave the example of us being put in quarantine as from the religious standpoint, but that happened to a lot of people politically. They just didn't care. They checked out. And the government wasn't going to do anything for them one way or the other until it stopped you from being able to go to work. So it, it certainly changes that a little bit, brings thoughts to the forefront. And you, know, you see projections of people believing there's going to be more activism now as a result of this awakening, if you will. Um, but on the same hand, you know, there's a lot of uh, extremes one way or the other. And I think people have a, 
a result of seeing extremes and not wanting to be a part of it because they're scared of of being associated with something that that they don't feel is adequate to to a lot of people and i think that for one reason or another most people coming through life view going to church as putting you in that extreme category that, that you just don't want to be lumped in even though at the end of the day it's the best long-term decision you can really do and quite frankly short-term decision too but there's a a resistance and instead of going completely against something you know which is right people just park in the mud and that's that's essentially what you're teaching just was is that if you're actively participating and wanting to to build a better life that's good and i think that what we see is in general people try to do what's good you know, I, I don't think that we see a large percentage of people who just actively want to go out and cause chaos. Granted, we focus on the media whenever that does happen, that there is something like that. But in general, the vast majority of us kind of just want to move along with our lives. And we found that by doing that, you kind of have to be on the good side of the fence in terms of the virtues versus the vices. But there's no, aside from getting across that finish line, there's no emphasis to keep moving further and better in that direction even though it makes our lives better it makes society better as a whole so i wanted to give you a chance to to articulate that the 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 positives of doing it and why we ought to continue to push ourselves to not be lukewarm even if we're in a decentest place now like we know we're not cold um, but we're not going towards um, the heat using that example. Well, I think just to continue uh, Jesus's words in the book of Revelation, again, this is Revelation 3.16 and uh, or 3.15 and following. Uh, Jesus, after saying the lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I spew out of my mouth. And then he explains what lukewarm means. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. And that's a good place to just do a little examination. In small ways or in big ways, how we have a way of saying that, I'm good. That's how people usually say. That's the, tra- that's the modern day translation of that, sa- of that verse. I'm good. Uh, okay, I'm good. Then he says, not knowing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. But that's the kind of thing that this, uh, you know, quarantine pandemic uh, is exposing. It's like maybe a month ago you go, yeah, I'm good. You know, I got a job. I got plenty of income. I'm all set. No problem. Prospering. And then suddenly you're unemployed. Then suddenly your house payment is due. Then suddenly you don't you can't afford your health insurance. Then suddenly your car breaks down. Then suddenly, and we start to realize how fragile we actually are. Wretched, pitiable, poor, how fragile we are. And so that's one level of it is just, just taking stock. You know, I'm good depends on what? Depends on the fragile employment that I have. Depends on the fragile bank account that I have. Depends on the fragile stock market. 
What does that I'm good depend on? Let's look at that. Is my life really built on solid ground or is it built on the US economy? You know, I mean, really. Uh, so looking at, at what those, those foundations of security are is really critical. And, and that's where, again, it's such a blessing for us to have some of that removed so that I can't say I'm rich, I'm prosperous, I need nothing. <laughs> no, that's not true anymore. Uh, may, maybe even I depend on Walmart or I depend on social interactions or I depend on my vacation or I depend on a lot of other things that suddenly just can go away overnight. What do I depend on? Am I really in need of nothing? I need a lot. That's just myself. But then he also says, uh, so wretched, pitiable, poor. And he says blind. It's an illusion to think that I only have to worry about me. And that kind of radical American individualism, which has a has a certain beautiful quality because there is a personal responsibility and there's a personal ownership and commitment and hard work and all of those things. There's a, there's a, a certain openness to our horizon, which is beautiful. I have something to work for. I'm not held back by arbitrary structures. And so that's, that's great. But if I fall into the illusion of thinking, as long as I take care of me, I'm okay. That is not human because human beings are fundamentally intertwined. And especially when we start looking at the church as the mystical body of Christ, it's like the arm saying, you know, like I know that the heart is having a heart attack and uh, my left leg is bleeding out. Um, but as the arm, you know, I'm good to go. It's, it'll be fine. You're going to be dead. Uh, that's just how that's going to work. And, and so really, recognizing the solidarity that we have with the whole human race in a, in a very broad way, with the church in a more specific way, with our own nation, community, family, and even more specific ways. I'm not good unless we are good. And as long as we are not good, I am not good. And uh, Pope Francis actually had a beautiful homily for Divine Mercy Sunday. I can't recommend it highly enough. Please take the time to read it. It's so moving. First of all, as he, as he looks at our fragility, you know, he just says, human beings are fragile. And, and part of mercy is God looking into that fragility and seeing beneath it this irrepressible beauty. And he really gives us permission. You don't have to be afraid of the fact that you're fragile. That's just real. And it's a relief when I don't have to cover that up and pretend like I got 16 backup plans so that, you know, everything will be fine in my life. I'm fragile. These things are fragile, wretched, pitiable, poor, you know, fragile, naked. I don't have all these defenses. So it really gives us, he really gave us permission to be fragile and to know that Jesus sees the beauty behind our fragility and he's there to take care of us. And he says, we fall over and over again, but like little children, God's right there to give us a hand up. He, he's never saying like, how many, you know, this is like 7,000 times you've fallen. No, he just gives us a hand up. We're like little children. We just need, need a hand and then we're back on our feet and then we go again. Then we fall again and then we need a hand again. And it's fine. And, and God is always there for us to do that for us. But then at the end of the homily, he also pointed out how much things have been kind of leveled out. Everybody's quarantined. You know, everybody's affected by this. 
the the coronavirus doesn't know if you're Tom Hanks or if you're the Prime Minister of England or if you're uh, Mama T next door. You know, the the coronavirus doesn't know who you are and doesn't care. Uh, we're we're all equally affected that way. And so there's a certain leveling out and, and a feeling of solidarity. Like we're all on the same page. We're all in the same boat. We're all suffering the same thing. And remarkably across the whole world, I mean, that's got to be the part that has never happened before that really everywhere in the world, I mean, the, the vast majority, certainly of the Northern hemisphere is just shut down. I mean, it's just remarkable how much we're, we're unified. We're in solidarity that way. But that solidarity is something uh, beautiful. At the same time, as Pope Francis says, we have to be so careful not to get the virus of indifference and selfishness and individualism. We have to be careful that we maintain the remedy against those things, which is solidarity, to really see uh, not just me, but to see us, to see the collective uh, group, uh, society of, of the human race, to not see the poor as a different kind of alien creature that can just be ignored or, or even worse, exploited, but to see we're, we're brothers and sisters and we're in this together. And I'm not good unless we are good. That's the, that's the challenge that he gives. And I think such an important one for us to take to heart. Part of being lukewarm is not caring about my brother, is that indifference where it's like, I don't care what's happening in Africa, or I don't care what's happening in the inner city of Pittsburgh. Like that's their problem. They can deal with it. That kind of indifference, it would be better to say that situation is wrong uh, or somebody's dealing with it in the wrong way. It would be better to have some energy about it and, and know that it matters. Hot or cold would be better, but indifference, not caring. That's the, the rich man in Lazarus, that parable in the, in the scriptures that the, the rich man didn't even know, you know, he just walked past him every day, just didn't care. It's just total indifference. That indifference is so destructive. So, so I think if we can really find in ourselves, and, and, and all of us have this, it's not a matter of, oh, that person's indifferent, this person's in good shape. All of us are indifferent about certain things. All of us could use a little bit more hot or cold, could use a little bit more energy in our hearts about, uh, about our brothers and sisters in Christ and about the human race and about things that need some attention. And not everything is something I can do something about other than pray. And that's where we come back to the divine mercy novena, how beautiful it is. Jesus really calls us to pray against indifference. And that's going to include praying against the indifference in our hearts. And, and what's the remedy? The remedy is solidarity. The remedy is mercy. When we really have mercy for those who need our, our love, who need the love of God. And, and again, it starts with prayer. And well said. The, the thought that was coming there is, is a lot, actually, is that we're seeing that, as you said, we are called to be intertwined, interconnected together. And as we're physically being forced apart, you, you see people have a yearning to do that. And as time is going on, more and more people testing the boundaries in which ways they can. Um, I know that um, around here and just driving around that Easter had people 
assimilating as families, not nearly as much as normal, but people are pushing that because they know that there is a need to be interconnected. And the thought that I had through there is you've been doing a very good job describing the negative sides that happens with indifference, but the positive glue that has been coming to me, that's been keeping indifference from happening is, is thankfulness ultimately and gratitude because you can't be indifferent if you're thankful for what you were given. It's just not possible. In fact, I think that's how you would describe the growing towards the hot and in the good capacity there is, is thankfulness. And I'm assuming that's part of why the mass has both the Gloria and the uh, prayers of mercy right together in the beginning. You know, you're acknowledging that, that you need help, but you're also thankful that it will always be there just as the parent helping the little child up continuously. And, to me, that's the part that I think that we all look at. You know, as we've said to this point, we basically were all given a month or so of of a different period in our lives where some some of us were working from home under different circumstances. Some didn't have a job, but regardless, if you cut it, you just had a month of different. What did you do with it? And as we probably have more time moving forward of this different, what will you continue to do with it? Will you become bitter and angry? Will you be thankful that at least you have a place to, to be with and that you have friends to go see again once life turns back on or at least the economy turns back on? Um, you know, I know that Teresa and I myself have had very many people that, you know, texting is nice, but it's not the same thing as seeing them. And that's just the way that it is. And I, I just have this thought of, of the gratitude that we all can have and also knowing that gratitude is one of the best physical emotions you can feel, again, in both the short term and the long run, to be thankful for, for what you have. And it will pull you out of the indifference in the mud, as we discussed there. Yeah, I think uh, it's a beautiful observation about gratitude. It's, it's a way of enjoying a good thing. Um, so it's sort of uh, savoring. Uh, that good thing, really tasting it, taking the time to acknowledge it. This is a really good thing. And then uh, spontaneously, when we have a good thing, we, we have a way of realizing, gosh, I, I couldn't have created this for myself. Now, I may have participated in bringing it about. I imagine, you know, you do construction projects and things like that, which I just have the greatest admiration for. I, I think it's amazing people that can actually build stuff. But anyway, I, you know, I'm sure that at, at the end of a construction project, you like to step back and go, Ah, nice. That's pretty satisfying. I got a thing now, you know, it's like it's built. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, I, I think you realize, you know, a, a person realizes, gosh, there's, there's a lot that comes together to make things possible. And I'm just, I'm grateful that I'm able to do this uh, at so many levels that I have the materials, that I have the resources, that I have the skills, that I have the opportunity, that I was able to work together with other people, that I, you know, a lot of things that we just realize are out of our control. But but gratitude helps us to, to savor those good things and and let them uh, settle in and we can just kind of taste them a little bit. And it's one way to look at the, the Sabbath, you know, the seventh day after creating, God stopped and enjoyed his work. He said it was it's very good. He, he took the time to evaluate it. 
he took the time to look at it and acknowledge its goodness. And that's a kind of, now God isn't grateful in the, he would have to be grateful to himself, you know? Um, so it's a little bit different expression uh, than we have, but it's the same concept of really taking the time to step back and enjoy what we have, recognizing um, whether it's our, our own contribution to it, which is itself a gift, uh, or just the way that it's been provided for us, something good there that we can enjoy. And, and that little bit, of, little bit of joy opens up. And, and then we realize also, and this is uh, you know, part of your point, I think, Joe, is that we're in it together. You know, I just don't do all these things on my own. You might construct a whole wing of your house, but you didn't cut the lumber. You didn't create the nails. You didn't, you know, it's like you didn't create the power tools. You didn't like every project is a joint project. Ultimately, everything we do is depends on so many other people. You know, you didn't create the electricity that you needed. You didn't design, you didn't figure out physics, right? You know, it's like it's just so many things that we depend on constantly. And that comes through other people. And that's something to be excited about. I mean, it's really amazing where where our, the human race has come over so many millennia of ultimately building, standing on the shoulders of those who went before us. And and there's really something beautiful that emerges. But gratitude helps us to to see that we're a part of that, that we don't exist apart from that. And on that note, what I have found throughout the years is that the people who are happiest with their worst and they're most successful with it, both in terms of quality and speed of getting a project done, they take time and appreciate what they have done or what their team has done. It's the ones that only get happy when the job is over seem to be have those biggest moments of slogging through it. And... You know, sometimes you don't physically see a lot of a lot of work get done because there's thought behind it or it's the stuff that's not glamorous that everyone needs but doesn't want to talk about, like wires inside of your wall or plumbing inside your wall that doesn't leak, doesn't keep your ceiling from, you know, getting all wet. So those type of important things to to take pride that I came here today, I put something of myself into this, maybe I got better at it. But at the end of the day, there's something to show for it. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't materially come together and it might all look like chaos because a room's ripped up and it's dirty and dusty everywhere and just things all over the floor. But at the end of the week, all the walls are done. There's drywall up and, and you can just see progress. And people who can take that stock as they're going through individual activities and life as a whole, that we are doing something well. I think end up having a lot better off and it's a skill worth developing. And it is a skill that you need to ascertain, you know, life gives us really big definable moments growing up. You know, you graduated from eighth grade, you started high school, you graduated high school, but it doesn't really teach you for those day to day, how to be happy and joyous for things. And I think that that, that skill is something that's very worthwhile doing. And maybe the easiest spot is something we all do worldwide is eating. You know, be thankful for what you made and how you made it. Maybe a little bit different or the way that someone else liked it. And just something that we all can do even when we're individually quarantined to think about how this can work. You know, very few of us are raising our own pigs for the bacon. But you can think about all that process which goes through there. 
someone grew the feed. You know, the plant itself had to grow. It got energy from the sun. And, you know, ultimately at the end of the day, it always gets back to God. But being thankful for each step along the ways, to me, seems like in a sense, even a form of, of praise to God. You know, calling out someone's skills for doing good that they ultimately got from good, God, to me, seems still in a sense of worshiping and praising God. So in a sense, as we build each other up and appreciate each other's goodness, we're also doing the same for God. Now, I don't want to go down a, a misnomer or create a heresy or anything like that, but I want to have you get a chance to correct me if I'm wrong. No, there's no. it's no uh, accident that the very word for the central mystery of our faith, which painfully is cut off from the entire body of the faithful at this point, the Eucharist. Eucharist means good grace. It means thanksgiving in Greek. And so that the very heart of our th faith would be thanksgiving. And we bring all of those individual accomplishments. We bring all of those uh, in individual uh, dimensions of self-offering and uh, those kinds of things, we bring all of that into the Eucharist. And so you're exactly right. Uh, ultimately, we're always, always getting back to God, thanking him. Every He's the, the giver of every good gift, as uh, says in letter of James, I believe, uh, the father of lights, who is the giver of every good gift. And so uh, we can thank him for all of those good gifts in our lives. Perfect. And, and we thank all of you out there for listening and being a part of today's episode. And we do ask you to continue to help us grow by spreading the cast and, and continuing to leave the reviews. We thank you all for being out there with us and we'll be with you again next week.